0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster Church. Whether you're joining us online or in person, we are glad that you are here today. A couple of things I want to say before we begin. A special uh, welcome to those of you who are visiting with us today. We're particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will join us uh, in participating in all parts of our worship service, including communion. And speaking of communion, it seems like our COVID brain is still pretty stuck in. Uh, It hasn't quite let go of us yet. So let's go over one more time how we go about communion. All right. Um, So this side begins, and you're going to come out into the center aisle, and then go back around to your seat via the side aisle by the windows. This side. You're going to come out the window side, come up and take communion, go back down the center aisle. If you get confused, our communion servers can help you. No big deal if we have a traffic jam, but we're just trying to get back into the good habit that we had before COVID started. Clear as mud? Excellent. You will notice up front the beautiful flower arrangement. Again, fall is here and it's reflected in our flowers. Do please uh, take some of those home with you today. Let that brighten your day and someone else's. I also want to remind you of some upcoming events. The first is uh, our STAG lectures here at the church. That's next weekend. That is uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Reverend Michael Ray Matthews will be with us. He will offer two lectures on Saturday beginning at 10 a.m. And then he will be preaching next Sunday morning. Uh, we will have light refreshments. Child care will be available if you have a little one and, or a couple of little ones and would like to come and attend. So do please make plans to be here. I also want to uh, remind you, hopefully you saw in the newsletter this week, uh, we are going to be having a Halloween gathering on Sunday, October 30th. This is not just for parents and kids, this is for everyone. Uh, We hope you will come, play some games. Everyone is encouraged to wear a costume. Um, We might even have a competition and see who has the best costume. Uh, We're going to do hot dogs. And maybe some other things, if we can get all the details worked out, there is a sign-up list outside my office. So if you're planning to come, please put your name down. Let us know how many adults, how many kids. And then the same goes for our new members and inquirers class. If you have recently joined the church or are interested in joining, uh, please sign up for that. That is going to be Sunday, November 6th, after church. Lunch will be provided. It will only be a couple of hours. Lots of really good information. You can sign up for that outside my office today. Also, as you look at your order of worship this morning, um, kids, I know you've been doing really well with this. Remember, come up for the children's message during the last verse of that first hymn. I'm getting a thumbs up. Uh, We did our communion reminder. I also want to give you a note about the Old Testament reading and my sermon today. Um, I'll go over this a little bit more as we get there. But so you are aware, uh, the Old Testament reading is different, and my sermon title is different. It was a bit of a week in my sermon writing this week, so uh, it's going to be a bit of a different sermon. All right, with all of that said and announced, let's take a deep breath together. And we take this deep breath, partially for me, mostly for you, also for God. So that we can settle ourselves into this time, into this moment that we have together. For some of us, it's been a really tough week. For some of us, it's been a pretty normal week. For some of us, it's been busy. For other of us, we've been a little bit bored this week. Whatever your week has been, whatever you are bringing with you into this space, all of it is okay. None of it disqualifies you before God. So take a deep breath. As you breathe in, breathe in the love of your creator, breathe in the love that emanates from this good and holy place. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out the homework that isn't done, do your best to breathe out those distractions, and then let us worship God together. And let us do so by uh, reading through the call to worship together, if you will join me please. God has gathered us in this place and will send us from this place.
1: In this place we hear these stories which show us
0: what God has taught. God summons us to this place.
1: Where we can learn how to serve God with all our caring gifts and abilities.
0: God will send us from this place. Thanks be to the one who creates us and sustains us. talking about different things around the church. And, like, churchy words that you don't (coughs) hear anywhere else, right? So who remembers where the narthex is? Can you point at it? Who remembers? It's not in this room. Who remembers? Yeah, it's that big area outside the sanctuary. That's called a narthex. That's a church word for it. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about how the church calendar works. Did you know that the church... Use this as a totally different calendar? No. No.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let me show you. What is this? Calendar. Yeah. Um, For what year? Yeah, this year right now. And how does this work? Yep, you have months, right? Here's January, February, March. Yep. and then you have the numbered days of the week, right? And does 2022, does it ever come back? Will it ever happen again? No. So once that's over, it's over. Okay. Let me show you this. What is that? It's another calendar. But what's different about it? What do you see? It's in a circle. Go a That's important. Has, it, doesn't have, it doesn't have numbers. Doesn't have numbers. Yep. What else do you see about it? Anything else that you think might be important? It has colors. Yeah, those colors are important. It does. It has letters up here and then this big green section down at the bottom. Just so the choir has a reference. (laughs) You know what we're talking about. This is called a liturgical counter. The way that this works is the church calendar is set up by seasons. Do you know what a season is? Yes. many of a season like a season in the regular year. Oh uh, winter. Winter, fall, okay. Easter, church season. Uh-huh. Summer. Summer. Yeah, you have you know what seasons are. Uh-huh. Fall I wish fall break was a whole season, but it's not. <laughs> so this is set up by seasons. And they're color-coded. So, turn around and look at me. There we go. Good job. So, these are color-coded. So, you see this top portion. Can somebody read that? What does that say? Good. So, half of the year, we spend talking about Jesus, right? Yes. And when do we normally start that? Do you guys remember? Do you know when the church year begins? It's kind of funny. It's kind of different. Starts in, De- in in December. Well, it really starts with Advent. Starts in December when we talk about Jesus' birth, and we talk about Jesus' birth. We go into January. We talk about Jesus being um, circumcised. We talk about then Jesus growing up and his ministry and his disciples, and then we talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. When does that happen? Do you guys remember when that happens? You said it earlier. When do we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection? Easter, Easter, exactly. That's a whole other season over here. That's this white one. And then we have a red one, this Pentecost. That's a whole celebration unto itself. And then this is all green. And can somebody read that? What does that say? Marley, can you read that? Ordinary time. And then can you read for me what does that say in that bottom half of that circle? The story of the people of God. So that means we spend the other half of the year talking about what Jesus teaches us and how we can be like Jesus. So, we start here. We go to Christmas. We go to Epiphany, which is usually the beginning of the year in January. We go to Lent. Then Easter, then Pentecost. Then Ordinary Time. And then you know what happens? We do it all again. And then we do it all again. And then you got it. All again. So look at me. Focus, focus. Focus on me. Is there, so we said there's no years or numbers on this. So do we get rid of this one? 2022 is over? No. What do we do? We keep it. We and we do it again. That's right. And here's the thing. Focus, focus. There we go. The church has been using this calendar for about as long as the church has existed. This is really, really old. But we keep using it because it helps connect us to people all over the world. People all over the world use this calendar. It connects us to all the generations of Christians who've come before us. And it helps us remember to celebrate Jesus' life and then to think about how Jesus helps us be the people we are. So it's not exactly the same as a regular calendar. But it's what we use over and over and over again. Now, not every church uses this. It's not required. You know, there's nobody that comes by and makes sure your church is using a church calendar. But it helps us have structure. It helps us know when and what to celebrate. And it's just a really, really good tool. So I want you guys to pay attention because all of these colors are important. That way you can look up and you kind of know what part of the year we're in. And remember... That being in church every Sunday not only connects you to all of these people, it connects you to Christians around the world, and it connects you to all sorts of Christians in history, and that's pretty cool. So, what I want you to do, everybody turn around, face the congregation, let's keep our hands to ourselves, thank you, we're going to do our prayer together, you all are leading this, so be nice and loud, adults, you're welcome to join in. I'll say the first line, you say it back to me. I see, the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ <coughs> comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. O holy o holy child God. God. Amen. You can go and back to your seats now. <laughs>
1: A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. For the third test, the devil took him to the peak of a, high, a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they all were. And then he said, They're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan! he backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
0: yours, holy God, and you show your love in the world and in the flesh. But we confess this morning that we have not listened when you remind us that we all have gifts from you. Instead, we trust in ourselves. We rely on our own ingenuity and hard work and believe this is ours to use and enjoy because we earned it, not because you gifted it to us. And so we confess that we have not always recognized when your story is meant as an example or as a signpost or as a record or as a warning. We have used your word to justify our own desires for control and power and greed. Because we have made it all about us, we thought nothing of reenacting the past without thought for the consequences of others, placing ourselves at the top of the priority list. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for taking what did not belong to us and using your word to justify it. Forgive us for calling ourselves your children while insisting that others are not. Forgive us for ignoring the context so that your story could appear to support our hurtful ways. Turn us around again and move us along your way. Just as you carried our ancestors through the wilderness, just as you... Formed your disparate people into one body, we pray that you would bring us once again to yourself, that we may learn to love you more truly, and to serve you fully. For to serve you is perfect freedom. We cannot measure or count all that you have done for us, O oh God, and so we pray for the strength to show our gratitude in our lives, as we remember and give thanks for all that you have done for us and for those whose faithfulness brought us to this place. We pray also for our neighbors whose stories are often unheard. We call to mind those who have been displaced or conquered, whose lives have been uprooted, whose stories are overwritten, simply because they were not victorious. We remember that they too are beloved and deserving of care, and that they have longed for recognition and compassion. May all people have a place to call their own, to rest and be known and be at peace. We lift up those around the world who are not able to tell their own story, whose voices are subsumed in statistics or headlines, or who find themselves a prop in someone else's play. We ask for your help for those who are not able to choose their own work, home, relationships, or even how they will use their own bodies. May all people be free to commit themselves to whatever you call them to do, We offer our prayers today for those whose lands are marred by violence, where the landscape itself tells stories we have tried to hide. We hear your creation crying out, and we pray for courage to face the truth as its prayers rise through us to you. Turn us around again and move us along your way. Just as you carried our ancestors through the wilderness, just as you formed us together, we would pray that you would bring us to yourself, We ask these things and all things in the name of Christ, through whom we are connected with all your people and in whose story we find ourselves. Amen. The correct Old Testament reading this morning is from Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, Even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. But how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adama? How can I make you like Zeboiim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a human. The Holy One among you. I will not commit, I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. God will roar like a lion. And when God roars, God's children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. And I will settle them in their home, declares the Lord. So, That's a bit different than what is in your order of worship. Let me explain. Um, I do my best to plan my sermons out kind of a semester at a time, if you will, and try to at least get a core idea of what I'm going to preach about and then do the detailed work the week of. Most of the time, 99% of the time, that works just fine. Then every once in a while, you get to one of these passages that To be honest, even after 10 years of ministry, you don't know what to do with. Um, And I spent all week trying to come up with more than about 300 words about the passage that's listed in your order of worship, and to say something beyond just be nice people and don't treat people badly, Um, which is not bad theology, but certainly isn't a sermon. So I finally just gave, gave gave it up and admitted I'd been defeated this week and switched my focus. Um, to this passage from Hosea, which is not a book we read very often. Not something I like to do, um, not something I like admitting that I have done, um, but that's where we are, that's what happened. I'd like to be honest with you about these things. And um, I think this passage is special, so that's what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. Let's pray together. Oh, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. A pastor and the chair of the deacons or the head of the coordinating council, whatever the church structure you like, they're out there playing golf. On the first tee, the pastor hits a beautiful drive straight down the fairway. If you're not a golfer, that's a good thing. The deacon chair shanks his shot, hits it sideways into a sand trap, and yells, a word we can't say in church, I missed. To which the pastor replies, careful, God's going to get you for that kind of language. They get to the second tee. pastor lands her ball on the green within inches of the hole. The deacon chair's ball sails right over the green. Again, the deacon chair says, Word we can't say in church, I missed. The pastor responds says, careful, God's going to strike you down. Now you can see where this is going. The pastor has an excellent round of golf while the deacon chair struggles through the whole course. Each time the deacon chair says, word I can't say in church, I missed. And the pastor responds with something about God smiting him. This continues until the 18th hole when the clouds darken, the wind picks up, lightning flashes down, but doesn't hit the foul-mouthed deacon chair and instead hits the pastor.
1: <laughs>
0: Looking around in bewilderment, the deacon chair hears a voice from above say, word I can't say in church. I missed. <laughs> yeah. If there's a single stereotype that comes to mind when we talk about the God of the Old Testament, it is of an angry, wrathful deity doing scary things we don't understand. God in the Old Testament kills people for merely touching the Ark of the Covenant. We talked about that weeks ago. God's anger is kindled, kindled, such a good word, when people worship other gods. And if you Google God, just the word God, and lightning, Google those two things together, You're not only likely to find that joke I just told you, but a plethora of
1: others.
0: (laughs) The imagery of God smiting people is often fodder for cartoon strips like Gary Larson's The Far Side and Jim Carrey, that unforgettable moment in Bruce Almighty when he says, smite me, oh mighty smiter. It's a great movie. (laughs) Of course, having a sense of humor about our religion is necessary. We should be able to laugh at ourselves, and ask hard questions about our sacred text. But we Christians have a tendency of divorcing ourselves from the stories about God that make us uncomfortable. The God of the Old Testament seems scary and unpredictable. We much prefer Jesus, who lets the little children come to him. He's our friend, our savior, the picture we've seen all our lives in Sunday school. He's familiar. But we also tend to forget that Jesus talked about hell more than Anyone in the Old Testament ever did. Jesus flipped tables while brandishing a whip in the temple, and he called a woman who came to him for help. He called her a dog. We tend to forget that Jesus was and is God. And when we forget this, we separate our God from the Old Testament God, and we miss things. We miss God's graciousness and God's love for creation. We miss the glorious language of the psalmist who pour their hearts out to the Almighty. We miss how many chances God gives the people to return to her. And we miss beautiful passages such as this morning's chapter from Hosea. Now, Hosea is what's called a minor prophet. Minor is not um, about the importance of the book. It's about the length of the book, so don't get confused there. This is still just as important as any other book in the Bible. It was written probably in the 8th century in Israel. The timestamp of this morning's text is 200 years after King Jeroboam, if that name sounds familiar. Um, He didn't have an easy rule, and things have not gotten better. Hosea's story begins with his unfortunate marriage commanded by God, to a woman named Gomer. It is not a happy union, and the text makes it clear that the conflict between Hosea and Gomer is a direct reflection of the state of God's relationship with Israel. There's a, If you want to read a different version of that story, there's a pretty not great uh, Christian romance novel. Uh, I don't remember the title, but it's based on this story. So in the chapter before this morning's reading, the Lord pours out frustration and heartbreak with Israel and Judah. Then we reach this poem in chapter 11, and God's tone changes dramatically. The Lord speaks of loving her son Israel from childhood, teaching Ephraim, that's one of the 12 tribes was a way to talk about Israel, teaching Ephraim to walk, lifting Ephraim like a baby to my cheek, bending down to feed Ephraim. Any parent will recognize these as the tender actions of a beloved child. But sadly, all of of God's efforts have been spurned by the people. As my Old Testament professor, his name is uh, David Garber, notes, we read in chapter 5 of Hosea that despite God's loving care and instruction, the people turn away ultimately choosing subjugation to Assyria instead of the loving embrace of God. Now, at this point in history, Assyria is becoming a major power. Egypt has long been the world power before this, and between Egypt and Assyria, Israel is caught in the middle, between these two big, basically, superpowers. The rub comes when the people put their trust in Assyria and submit to the political powers that dominate the region, rather than trust in God. Despite God's best efforts, God has to watch Israel make choices to move further and further away from her love and care. And so, in these verses, we hear the deep pathos of God. We hear her internal monologue, her heartbreak and frustration. The once loving relationship between God and Israel has disintegrated. This, this relationship is so utterly exasperating to God and so she now seems to be leaning toward tough love. The kind of a love that would allow Israel to suffer the consequences of their actions. But then we get to verse 8 and see a rare glimpse into God's Inner turmoil over the actions of her child. The thought of punishing this child literally causes God's heart to turn over upon itself. And while God feels the anger, that anger that any parent disrespected by a child would probably feel, God rises above the desire to punish Israel. How can I give up on you? God asks. How can I turn you loose and let you be ruined? Now, let's be clear. As Dr. Michael Chan points out, between verses 7 and 8, there is no change in Israel. There's no change in the people. There is only a change in God. Rejecting wrath and and pettiness and, and destruction, God brings forth a new promise. I am not going to act on my anger. I am not going to destroy Ephraim. Put another way, God decides not to act as we humans would. Recognizably parental, though God might be, God is still God. Despite exasperation, despite hurt and frustration, God's profound divine hurt gives a way to profound divine love. Let me say that again. Despite exasperation, despite hurt, despite frustration, God's profound divine hurt gives way to profound divine love. If you close your eyes, you can imagine the divine parent's fate, divine parent pacing, pacing back and forth, and then stopping abruptly. Brow, furrow brow easing, stormy face clearing and Arms reaching out in love to Israel as she says, This is my child. The Chronicles of Narnia are some of my favorite books. I read them, I think, when I was about seven or eight. I didn't really understand them, read them many times since then. In fact, that was the first book series I read cover to cover. And if you've read them, you know that in this uh, series by C.S. Lewis, It's basically the Christian story, specifically the Christ story. And in his world, in the Narnia world, the Christ figure is Aslan the Lion. We first hear of Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as the Pevensey children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, get into this new world they've discovered through walking through the back of a wardrobe. Upon learning that Aslan is a lion and not a man, Lucy, the youngest, who first discovered Narnia, has this exchange with the children's friends, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. "'Is he quite safe? I shall fear and be rather nervous about meeting a lion.' "'That you will, dearie, and no mistake,' said Mrs. Beaver. "'If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they are either brave or just silly.' "'Then is he safe?' said Lucy." "'Safe,' said Mr. Beaver. "'Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? "'Who said anything about safe? "'Of course he isn't safe, but he's good.'" In the ancient Near East, lion imagery is often associated with kings, particularly the king of Assyria, whom the people of Israel were so often entangled with. Yahweh, however, God, however, is the real king of the ancient world, And this convergence of lion and bird imagery that we hear in this text is both a boon and a threat. As a lion, God has the power to consume the birds, but again, the Almighty acts counter to how we'd expect, counter to how we would act, and instead rescues the birds, rescues Israel. More importantly, the God of the Old Testament, of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Naomi, and Ruth, the God who became Christ among us, who is today, as she was at the time of Hosea, a loving, all-compassionate, jealous in the best way, and grace-filled God is not safe, but God is good. That's why that lion imagery of Aslan is so perfect. For while the lion's roar is an invitation to be followed in the Narnia's books, Only a fool would think this lion is tame. What's more, this lion, this divine parent, is recognizable to us, but clearly is not us. In fact, that's the good news this morning, my friends. No matter what else we understand about God, God is always both and. What I mean is God is both father and mother. God is both like us emotionally, and capable of mercy and love we cannot imagine. God is both angry and compassionate. God is both an untamed lion whose roar calls us home, and Jesus the Christ who wraps his arm around little children. God is both a parent nuzzling the cheek of her newborn child, a newborn himself totally dependent upon those around him, And a suffering servant who gives the most it is possible to give of himself. To sum it up succinctly, God is and God is always faithful. So whatever image of God speaks to you, whether it's lion, mother, father, holy one, creator, Christ, Jesus, know they are all part of the unfathomable being that is our creator. Lean into that image. Explore others. And know that no matter what, you are so loved. Friends, communion is a joyful feast of unity. Christ has gathered his people around the earth to commune at this table. This is not my table, this is not Northminster's table, this is God's table. So we gather at this table where everyone is equal. We gather around this table across political lines and economic lines, in places of powerfully protected affluence, and among the poorest of the poor. And we share a meal, remembering and celebrating the one who is the tangible heart of God. And so come to this table. Come with your doubts. Come with your hopes. Come with your inadequacies, with your strengths. Come, just as you are. For at this table, there is always room, and everyone is welcome. Now, if you would, let's pray together the prayer.
1: Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
0: On the night that he was handed over while at supper with his friends, Christ gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. That evening he took bread He gave thanks for it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples saying, Take and eat all of you. This is my body surrendered for you. Then when supper was over, he took a cup, he filled it with wine, he gave thanks for it, and he shared it with them, saying, take and drink, all of you, this is the seal of the new covenant, my poured out life. I will drink this cup with you again at the table of joy that is coming in God's new day. And whenever you do these things, remember me. benediction. May God bless you with a distaste and superficial worship, so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice, so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow, so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go in peace.